0: Say these chains will never Lost without hope of no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains And my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began.
1: as though heaven had lost,
0: but then Jesus arose with said if we would pray and we would seek and humbly lay our lives down at your feet that you would bring us to a place where earth and heaven be, for your glory make us holy Sound roaring thunder, cover the earth with signs and wonders. Bring it awakening, bring an awakening. Come and consume us with your power. Jesus, we need you in this hour. Bring it awakening. Bring it away. One more time. Come and come like the sun.
2: Well, good morning. I am so grateful for all these places of worship this morning that I believe are in concert with the Lord's message today. With these um, scriptures that we've read and the songs that we have sung and the prayers that have been uttered, Um, I believe these things are in complete agreement with the Lord's message. So we will be in John chapter 9 today, if you're in the church's Bible, on page 1235. John chapter 9, page 1235. And we're going to continue some of where Deborah had taught us last week about this blind man who Jesus had healed. I notice a couple of you are wearing glasses this morning. Um, vision is very important to us, isn't it? And whether you were um, born with poor eyesight and needed glasses from an early age, or you have reached what scripture might call a mature age, and your eyes are beginning to deteriorate, so you need something to help you read. Um <laughs> Being able to see correctly is important. Each year I get a new prescription, usually around the end of the year or the first of the year. I have to go to the doctor and I have to get a new prescription made for my glasses and for my contacts. And this appointment causes me a little bit of anxiety. Better one, better two. Better three, better four. Long pause. Better three, better four. Which do I prefer? Do I prefer the small letters that are clear and defined or the big letters that are a little fuzzy? So I received my last eye exam on December 28th, just a few months ago. And I'll tell you that I'm still waiting for this prescription to be final because of some back and forth and difficulty with the contacts that I have. So this is a very real thing for me to have good vision. And as important as our sight is for our physical lives, it is even more important for our spiritual lives. The wrong prescription for me can mean squinting to see something clearly or even headaches from the wrong power. Likewise, I think as we'll discover today, without spiritual vision, no amount of squinting will allow us to see the Lord clearly. And certainly, we can have headaches from relying on the wrong power. So in John chapter 9, you'll remember that Jesus heals this man who has been blind his entire life. Jesus heals the man by putting mud in his eyes and then asking him to wash it away. So the result is that a man who could not see is now able to see. The Pharisees' reaction to this is to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Then they interrogate this man's parents and interrogate this man more than one occasion. Ultimately, they kick him out of the synagogue. So our passage picks up after all of this has happened. So read with me in chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see, that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. So this passage is quite an enigma and is filled with puzzling statements. We have a newly healed man who is excommunicated from the spiritual community by the religious leaders, and then this same man begins a believing relationship in Jesus. What is going on here? Well, there are two parts for today's message, two things that we are going to focus on to understand. The first is the judgment that Jesus explains. And the second is the vision that he offers. Hear that because that really seems like a summary of what scripture offers again and again and again, an explanation of judgment and the vision that God offers us. This judgment that Jesus mentions is critical for us to understand the vision he offers. And verse 39 is somewhat of a baffling statement. Read it with me. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come in to this world. Now this is baffling because if we know John's gospel at all, we know that this might seem to be a contradiction or at odds with something that we read from Jesus earlier. So turn back with me to John chapter 3, just a few pages back, page 1223 in the church's Bible. We'll read verses 16 and 17, a familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now this passage seems pretty consistent with what we've read in John chapter 9, but the word I want to draw your attention to is in verse 17. Some translations say condemn, others say judge. So we read here in John 3.17 that Jesus did not come to judge. This word is a Greek verb, krine. Krine means to decide or to distinguish. It means to judge between one thing and another. Now Deborah has taught on this passage for us many times, correcting the false teaching that Jesus did not come to judge. Now this is a true statement in One sense, because the law already exists as a judge between holy and unholy, between good and evil, and between obedience and sin. So Jesus didn't come to do what the law has already done. Jesus came exactly as the second part of verse 17 says, but that the world through him might be saved. And then in 18, Jesus explains further that he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Turn with me over a few pages to Romans chapter 2 in the church's Bible on page 1295. Romans chapter 2. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul does kind of a a Q&A, a a question and answer session about what the law means and why Jesus' death was required as a penalty for sin. Let's read together chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Paul says, For there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now I know that this is another passage that seems somewhat like a riddle, but what Paul is saying is pretty simple. The first thing he communicates is that God has no partiality. What he means to say is that God does not judge based upon our conditions or our opinions. God does not look at one person and another and go, I'm going to judge this way based upon this situation and this way because somebody has really strong opinions. God does not show partiality. The second thing is that he communicates to the Jewish people and he says, the Jews were not justified because they had the law. They were justified whether they obeyed the law. They didn't get a pass because they were God's covenant people. They were God's chosen people. They didn't get a pass because they walked around with their Bibles or because they listened to Christian radio. They were justified if they obeyed the law. And the other group he talks to are the Gentiles, of whom we are a part. He talks to the Gentiles and says, well, just because you don't have the law, you still have a conscience. And you can be condemned or justified by the law the same even without having it. In a nutshell, what he's saying is, people will be condemned not because they have the law or don't have the law, but because they have sinned. And they will be judged according to the law. So turn back with me now to John chapter 9. If You've moved your marker, it's on page 1235. Reading again in verse 39, and Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world. So when Jesus says this, he is, not, he is building on this existing idea that we have read about that was prevalent and Paul understood in Romans. And he's building upon what he said back in chapter 3. He is not competing with it. See, many go to scriptures like this and say that, that scripture is inconsistent, and that in one place God says he's not judging, and in another place he's saying he is. That is not a failure on God's part to have a holy word, it is a failure on our part to dig into what scripture says. So looking at this verse, and it says, And Jesus said, it says, four. Another way to translate this, this word is because or on account of. And this word for judgment here is the noun form of the verb criné we read about back in chapter 3. That's important. So this word judgment is a noun and not a verb. Judgment is a reality that Jesus is acknowledging and not a verb, or an action he's doing. Judgment is a reality that Jesus is acknowledging. Jesus has the authority to judge, and that's not in question, but that's not what's going on here. Let me read this verse to you now with a little more context and understanding. Because of the judgment that already exists, I, Jesus, have come into the world that those who do not see may see, and those that see may be made blind. We, as the church, operate far too often as this judgment does not exist. As if there is no longer a penalty for sin because Jesus has died, right? How often do we hear something like that? On Christian radio, oh, I had a tough week, I did a few things, but thank goodness Jesus died, and there is no longer a penalty for sin. That is a false teaching that has gone out to the world, like Joe read to us this morning. There are false teachings that are going out, and this is one that judgment is no longer for the believer. That is untruth. Jesus, has beca- Jesus came to earth because of this judgment that was a Reality. This right here is a great scripture that summarizes the gospel. It is the story of God's love for us. Because of judgment, Jesus has come into the world. Because of sin's consequence, Jesus has come into the world. The second part of our message is to understand this spiritual vision that Jesus is talking about. I have some good news for you today. This this passage that we have read is a fulfillment of prophecy. We love prophecy in our world, don't we? People love to put on social media, prophecy is being fulfilled. I got a word, all these things happening are a fulfillment of prophecy. It is end times, it is middle times, whatever times it is, prophecy is at hand. We get excited, right? Something apocalyptic is happening yet we ignore the prophecies being fulfilled in Scripture already. This passage is a fulfillment of prophecy. I believe that is one of the greatest things that the Lord showed me here. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29 in the church's Bible is on page 816. We're going to read a few scriptures from Isaiah. All that describe who Isaiah called is the promised one. The promised one who will heal blindness. First scripture is in Isaiah 29. Read with me in verse 18. Isaiah says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. That is an amazing prophecy. Turn next to Isaiah 35 verse 5. Isaiah 35 verse 5. Isaiah prophesies again in verse 35 verse 5. He says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Turn with me now to Isaiah 42. We'll read in verse 7. Isaiah 42 verse 7. Over here, Isaiah is talking about what the promised one is coming to do, and he says in verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, you all know how I feel about Scripture, that that what we're reading is so important because it wasn't typed with a typewriter or a computer. There weren't save buttons. These scribes labored over every jot and tittle that they wrote down. And so Isaiah, with limited parchment, with limited ink, is writing down three different times that he knows and has heard from the Lord that the promised one, the Savior of Israel, is going to come, and among the things he's going to do, he is going to open the eyes of the blind that they may see. Three times he says the same thing. Because it is among the most significant things Jesus comes to do, open the eyes of the blind both physically and spiritually in all of Scripture, Jesus is the only one to heal the blind, the only one. Think about that for a moment. Think about all the things you know from the Old Testament and from the New. Think about all the places where people heal, where sorcerers and magicians seem to have authority over over physical illness and bring healing. Think about the disciples whom Jesus sent out in His name to bring healing. only Jesus. Heals blindness. It is his identity. It is what he came to do. Turn with me to Matthew 11 in the church's Bible on page 1123. Matthew chapter 11, page 1123. Matthew 11, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to talk to this man Jesus and to blatantly ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who the prophets have foretold? Are you the one, like Isaiah said, who would be the promised one to come and unstop the ears of the deaf and bring sight to the blind? Read with me in verse 1. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended of me." See, we read this and we think, oh cool, John's disciples are hearing Jesus does some cool things. Go and say, this is why Jesus is the Messiah, but it is greater than that. Jesus is telling them, go to John because he knows the scriptures, he knows the prophets, he knows what the promised one came to do. Say that you have seen me healing the blind and curing the deaf that they have the gospel preached to them. And they're not offended on account of me. And John will know that I am he who the Lord is sending, the Messiah who's come into the world. So this story of a man being healed from blindness in chapter 9 is not just a great parable of Jesus' power. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. It is something that I believe the hearers and the seers that were there completely missed out on that we have a chance to grab hold of. Turn with me back to John 9 on the church's Bible, page 1235. Jesus does this great work, and he heals this blind man, and lots of things happen. Like we said, the Pharisees interrogate him and excommunicate him from the synagogue, Jesus comes and he is speaking not just to this blind man, but to the Pharisees as well. And he says what we've already read, that for judgment I have come into the world, verse 39, and then Jesus says two significant things. The first is that he says that those who do not see may see. That those who do not see may see. This is pretty straightforward. Jesus healed the blind man who could not see so that he could. Jesus healed this man physically so that they would know and we would know that he has the power to heal us spiritually. We should marvel at this physical healing alone we should be asking to be healed spiritually. So that those who are blind, those who don't understand, would be made able to see. And this encompasses all spiritual matters. Jesus doesn't put a limit on what this sight can do. It would allow us to see that Jesus is the Messiah. It would allow us to understand his word. It would allow us to enter salvation and continue in sanctification. And we must have this spiritual sight for those things. Jesus tells us that no one comes to the Father but through him. Without this sight we can have nothing. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, among all the things he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are he and she that know that they are spiritually in poverty and need a savior. Blessed are those who are not offended on account of that word. Jesus is telling us that those who admit their need and trust in him can be granted sight just as the... The blind man was given sight and understanding by him. Jesus did heal him physically, yes, but then he gave him understanding. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man, verse 35? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then the man said, I believe, that is understanding. Physical healing does nothing without understanding. Deborah will tell you of the many she has seen physically healed in the name of Jesus Christ that she is confident that he did a great work there and they have continued on in sin and returned to worse things because they didn't want understanding. The second thing that Jesus says is that those who see may be made blind. In verse 39, those who see may be made blind. Now, I believe in these two statements, the first one was directed at the blind man. He was letting him know that, yes, you were unable to see, and now you can. And now I believe he's speaking to the Pharisees who are surrounding him, the ones who have already kicked this man out of the church. He says to them that those who think they see may be made blind. The Pharisees were the lawyers of the law. They were the scholars of the Torah. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They had great knowledge, but they were arrogant and prejudiced against Jesus. To this group or any group that thinks they see, Jesus said their sight would be stripped from them. I believe that this idea of being made blind could be either a blessing or a curse, depending on the one who hears it. If God strips our false understanding from us, then we can be made to receive true sight from him. However, on the other hand, if we refuse this sight, our heart is hardened and our blindness might be made permanent. Next in verse 40, it says, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? I think they were trying to trap Jesus into insulting them. Trap Jesus in what they thought was a punishable crime. And as only Jesus could, he responds, not actually answering their question of whether they were blind, but instead he describes the limit of their question, and he punts it back to them and to us to answer. See, God will not be mocked. God will not be backed into a corner. God will not play our head games. When we ask God for an answer of a yes or no to a question that is not yes or no, when we ask God a question that we full well know the answer of, God will put it back to us to be accountable for He tells that if you were blind, then you would have no sin. They well understood what Jesus meant by this, because if they were blind to the law, they wouldn't realize what sin was. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 7. Paul helps us to understand this. Romans chapter 7 on page 1299. Continuing on on his question and answer session, Paul says this in chapter 7, verse 7. Talking about the law, he said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Covet. So what Jesus is telling these Pharisees is that they they wouldn't have known sin except for the law. He says, because you think you know the law, because you assume you know everything, your sin remains. I think what he means here at a very basic level is that in their pride, they believe they know all the law. While they know all the words of the law... They miss its intent to keep them from spiritual conditions like knowledge and pride. And because of this, they remain in sin. See, we can know all the words of Scripture. We can quote it every day. We can use it in our vocabulary. We can paraphrase it when it suits us. But if God's word has no effect to to change us spiritually, then we remain in sin. I think at the same time, Jesus is revealing something very powerful to us. See, these Pharisees knew the prophecy that John knew. These were rabbis. These were scholars. These were leaders in the synagogue. They quoted scripture like we do. They sung all the spiritual songs. They lived and breathed scripture. It was their living. Yet they were refusing to acknowledge that Jesus was the only one who could heal a blind man. Do you see that? No one had ever healed a blind man before and yet Jesus comes on the scene. He is fulfilling scripture in their midst. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fill it up. I came to give you more understanding of what the heart of the Father truly is and he heals this blind man. He fulfills these great prophecies in Isaiah and they miss it. They don't just miss it. They refuse it. Jesus tells them, you know the law yet your sin remains. Their pride Their arrogance, their rebellion, their refusal to receive him as king of kings and lord of lords. Because of this they remain in their sin. Jesus is the Messiah. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 in the church's Bible on page 1400. 1 John chapter 3. Same John who writes the Gospel of John, who we've read multiple scriptures from, tells us this in chapter 3, verse 6. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now what John is doing is not having a run-on sentence here. He is um, juxtaposing two different realities for us. He says, whoever abides in him, being Jesus, does not sin. This word abides means to continue, it means to remain, it means to stay. It is the word meno. In the second part of the scripture, he says, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, what we don't see here in the English that's present in the Greek is this word meno again, which means to abide. It means to continue. It means to practice. It means to make perfect. Truly, practice does make perfect. Practicing sin makes us perfect sinners. And this word meno is the word that's used back in John earlier when Jesus says, therefore, your sin remains. Therefore, your sin is meno. When we know God's word, when we refuse God's word, when we hear his voice and we refuse to listen, when we see him calling to us and we don't acknowledge our sin remains because we have led it, we have given it a home, we have made a hospitable false temple for sin to remain. And when we do, we judge ourselves according to the law. We give the law authority to bring judgment in our lives. Here is the opportunity for us today to be made to see as the Lord would have us to see. This applies to every spiritual level and walk with Jesus. Whether we are two days into a lifelong commitment with him or 40 years, Jesus desires to give us fresh sight When my prescription expires each year, I can't wait on the doctor to call me and pester me and say, you want to come in? Do you want to get new contacts? I am awaiting that day when my insurance will allow me to call the doctor and get new ones because my eyes are crusty and my prescription is worn out. It is not the heart of the Father to continue to pester us to come to him. It is the heart of the Father that we would long to to come to him like the great physician, to be healed, to be given a new prescription. All have been born spiritually blind and in need of this great physician for sight and salvation. Like the Pharisees who knew God's word, yet their hearts were far from him, I believe we can be in a relationship with the Lord and have our vision blurred by false teachings that we've aligned with or the effects of sin that we're in. Luke 12 tells us that for everyone who much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. My friends, much has been given to us. The Lord has given us his word and his understanding. And I pray that we would respond to his voice today. Amen.
1: And the grave is over a day that's drawing near when this darkness breaks